Good evening all. This is Terry, founder, CEO of Mr. Perfect. Hope you've all had a great week. This is the Reconnection Hour, TRH, to uh, abbreviate it. Um, what do we do at Mr. Perfect? I think you're all fairly aware of what we do for the newbies. Um, we bring men together at barbecues to create communities and connection uh, for the betterment of mental health and to reduce isolation. That's what we do physically. We run them across Australia uh, in almost 30 locations now. Um, but online, we, um, we do a few live streams and this is our regular Thursday night uh, TRH reconnection hour. What we normally do is chat to health professionals or people doing good things in the world of connection and mental health and men's health. Um, yeah, and tonight I've got a cracker of a guest, um, but I'll give you a quick update on the week that's been. Obviously, it's been an absolute crazy one for a lot of people uh, with coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, I'm sure we could talk about that for 10 hours uh, non-stop, so we won't tonight, but I'm sure it might be a topic that comes up and its effects on, on mental health and connection shortly. The good news is that without um, physically being able to meet or trying to hold back on that as much as we can anyway to be safe, we are going to hold an online barbecue uh, on Sunday the 29th. And I'm not quite sure how that's going to work yet. A few people contacted me today thinking that they might have to set up a grill in the background and have some sausages going while we're chatting. And I said, well, it wasn't my idea, but we'll, we'll see what works. But um, I'll send more details on that shortly. So with this um, carnage this week, um, there's been, obviously, it's caused a lot of isolation for people uh, physically. Um, in my day job, I've been speaking to a lot of healthcare professionals who have started to utilize telehealth, telemedicine, using streams, exactly like what we're doing now, which is actually a really good positive thing. Um, and I just had a quick chat with our, our guest tonight about that as well, about how that works in um, in psychology and counseling. But um, I'm keen to hear what uh, Carl um, has been up to recently. And uh, our guest tonight is Carl Nelms from Blokeside Psychology. He's a psychologist himself, um, very prominent, I've been around uh, on the media. I even saw that he talked on uh, ABC's The Drum, I believe, um, about men's mental health. So without further ado, I will bring Carl in now. Hey, Terry. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Good evening, mate. How are you? Very well. Very well. Interesting it's, time to be chatting. Yeah, <laughs> very interesting. I'm getting very used to this now, this video stuff. <laughs> and um, so I just sort of obviously brought you in and mentioned uh, a one-liner about yourself, but let us know about you um, and Blake Psychology to kick us off. Yeah, so long story short, uh, as I'm sure you said, I'm a psychologist. Blake Psychology is pretty straightforward. We're a psychology mental health practice, private practice in the Bayside and Eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Basically uh, a place for boys and men of all ages to get counseling and psychological support for a range of different issues. Amazing. And um, you said that's in Melbourne, right? Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah, excellent. excellent. And um, I guess what made you get into counseling psychology? Oh, good question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Wow, what made me get it? It was actually a best best mate's dad back in year nine. We were picking our electives and he said, you have to pick psychology. He said, you have to pick psychology because whatever you do in life, the, the more you understand other people, 
the uh, easier time you'll have professionally and personally. And from day one, absolutely loved it. Kept studying it. Wasn't sure if I wanted to go into research or as a therapist and ended up trying my hat as a therapist counsellor and absolutely loved it. So here I am. Amazing. And how have you dealt this week with um, all the stuff that's going on, of course? Um, have you been able to manage it and consultations and things like that? Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been a fascinating space, as I'm sure we all know, even going to the supermarkets, <laughs> a stressful <laughs> event at the moment. Uh, we haven't been too heavily impacted thus far. We've probably had a handful of clients cancel or reschedule or move their appointments to online. Um, but we are set up to provide telehealth video services. We do that anyway as part of our practice. So uh, if restrictions continue to come down on us, then we'll gradually just move more of our consultations online. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think the big questions, I guess, that we have when we talk on TRH are around, you know, it's called the reconnection hour, um, trying to focus on mainly how men predominantly can reconnect, I guess, or the things they do to connect. How have you found um, men reach you? Like literally, how do they connect with you? How do they find you? Is there any sort of issues around that? Uh, yeah, I'd be keen to hear your thoughts. How do they find us? How do they connect with us? Uh, probably primarily now it's social media. Um, yeah. Our Facebook presence, our Instagram, uh, usually a female in their life has tagged them in one of our videos or posts wow. or clicked the details. They might message us to suss us out a little bit. Uh, but it's primarily social media. Uh, probably second is doctors in the area, um, obviously yeah. being quite a niche service. Uh, we're quite well known now in the Bayside area. So if they get a bloke or, or a client who's tried with a few different psychologists, they'll often handball them to us. Yeah. And I, yeah, I know that you've got quite a decent presence on social media. I think that's how, um, I think someone, did we get, did you get tagged on LinkedIn for us or how did we get in touch? I can't actually remember. Someone put us in touch. I already knew of you, but I know they put us in touch somehow. So I th sure yeah, I think it was. I think it was LinkedIn. As I said, I'd heard of you guys and the amazing stuff you were doing, but somebody just tagged us in a post and then we got chatting, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And I've been following a lot of what you've been doing on um, Instagram as well. And I'm flicking mm -hmm. through. We don't do too much on there, but when I sort of flick through, I always see Blake Psychology pop up. So I was curious <laughs> to know um, why uh, why Blake Psychology, why they sort of, you might, might be, I know it's obvious, Blake psychology, but yeah. <laughs> how did you come about with that? I was, it was probably two and a half, three years now. I was working at a community health center in the Gambler's Health Program. And I was, we had about 13, 14 clinicians and I was probably one of three males. And at the time I was the only male under 30. So my caseload obviously was all blokes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I often got the 20 year olds, the 30 year olds, or the real blokey blokes. And it was just a conversation I had with a client one day. He was talking about his issues and why he came in that first session. Uh, he'd hit rock bottom recently. And I just naively at the time, I said to him, why is it taking you so long to reach out for support? And without any hesitation, he just looked at me and said, mate, where would I have gone? And I thought that was a really bizarre question because I said, I said mate, there's mental health clinics and psychologists everywhere now. And he said, yeah, but if you look at 99% of them or who your GP refers you to, he goes, they're just generalized standard clinics. They talk about wellness and well-being on their website. They're, mm -hmm. they're almost, I mean, this is a generalization, but he said, look, they are, they're, they're tailored towards females, to feminine sort of uh, lingo. He goes, where's a bloke to go? 
And it was that night I went and saw my supervisor, another senior psychologist at the time, and I was telling her about this interaction. And I said to her, I said, it's almost like there needs to be some bloke psychology clinic. And she just looked at me and said, do it. She said, I have a spare room, just do it. And I said, I couldn't. Six months later, once I'd toyed around with the website and the branding, I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. And we've been busy since week one. Amazing. And just a thought popped into my head then. So you're doing, you know, you're doing your psychology, doing your consults prior to that. Um, You've done all your training up to that point and any sort of ongoing training you're doing. What's then, you decide to set up like psychology, but was there anything you had to go away and learn separately about how men work or is it just purely based on experience you use the same tools and resources you would have before or skills or was there anything you had to do extra to kind of go right well if we're really going to gear this towards men how do i really make an impact sorry my dog's just come in the room (laughs) shut the door get out (laughs) must have been so interested in the chat (laughs) oh he just forced the door open um, it's a really good. It's a really good question, actually. I mean, I think yeah. from that moment onwards, when I was toying with the idea, at the same time, some emerging research was starting to come out from, I think it was the University of New South Wales or Western Sydney, one of them. And I started reading these papers, and they were talking about the differences in what works in therapy and psychological treatment for men. And I'd never read anything like this, and it was really, really resonating with me. I'm like, that, that's. They were sort of saying what I'd been thinking or suspecting. So I sort of dove myself into that research. I started reading, you know, I'm sure you've heard of Steve Bidoff, Raising Boys, a lot of that sort of literature and masculinity, the history of all that. So I didn't do anything formally, I suppose, but I really dived in for the next six, 12 months and I still am just really consuming myself with that whole space. Um, But primarily it really was that research that confirmed that, okay, this, this really, it does need to happen. And fast forward to now, that research has um, grown a lot larger. I mean, you know, I shared a post the other day from Movember who actually they're interviewing at the moment men yeah. who have been in therapy. And I think you might have seen the survey that because yeah. they really, really have noticed that this is an emerging space and there is something there. Well, I, I did that very survey. So my um, ah. someone sent it to me and I was like, yeah, 100%. And I shared it on you know, our sort of channels as well. Um, yeah, and it was amazing just to read through it. And although it may be a no-brainer now, like I was going, why has no one <laughs> like done this? Or yeah, no, why? And the questions were just so obvious. Like, and I've had friends tell me these same things when they've gone to people. And maybe like it's half of them not trying hard enough, but it's also half of how they were set up and who they went to. And you know, the, the people mm. might not have been skilled enough to deal with what they were particularly wanting to deal with. And usually, men's issues, right? Um, and all the things in it, I was just going, this is huge. Like it might take some yeah. time to really make some massive impact, but um, yeah, like it was, it was just a no brainer for me that server. Yeah, no, I, I did it myself too, because I've, I've yeah. had counseling many years ago and I did it myself and I thought the same thing. This is one of those things, it's so obvious that it's not obvious for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and with the, um, when you really got bloke psychology sort of kicking off and uh, I guess a little bit more attention, clients, etc. Did your professional peers, what was their sort of thoughts on it? Was this something that was just so new that they were, <laughs> were they positive, negative? What were their thoughts? Very mixed, very mixed. Yeah. I had 
I had one person tell me you're an idiot. He said, you're setting up a business and you're automatically by naming it that cutting off 50% of the population. He said, pretty much you're an idiot. Wow. Uh, he wasn't in the profession, but yeah. uh, you know, I had some psychologists who were really supportive and mental health professionals and others who were a bit hesitant. Um, a few thought that being bloke psychology, I would attract uh, or appeal to only a certain cohort of men, which was one of my initial concerns, but uh, not to be, not to be. Uh, you know, I had one client who was definitely not that stereotypical uh, Aussie masculine bloke. And I actually asked him in our last session, I said, you know, can I just ask you something? I asked him about the impression of bloke psychology. And, and he said to me, he goes, just because I'm ABCD doesn't mean I'm not a bloke. Yeah. And I thought, wow, touche, touche. Yeah. That's incredible. And um, so, yeah, obviously mixed reaction from the uh, from the people who, well, I guess, like, if that person was not from the profession anyway, it kind of, um, yeah, I guess it says a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, just it, it's mind-blowing because I'm thinking in my head, if there was something like that right here now in Sydney or maybe two, three years ago, uh, that was mm. as obvious or as, I don't know, yeah, as obvious as what you're doing, then I guess there'll be a lot, there'll be a lot of people accessing it. Or at least trying to access it. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, we get a lot and, of in, a lot of inquiries from Sydney, Brisbane. Yeah. You know, when are you coming up here? Is there an equivalent service? Yeah. Maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. And what have you found then makes men generally connect to therapists or to yourself? I think. And this is not to knock uh, our training programs or other psychologists, but I think our training programs really do us a disservice because to a large degree, all the things we are taught, all the therapies, interventions and whatnot, they're taught with the premise, assuming that the client in front of you wants to be there. And I anecdotally now definitely believe that most blokes, even if they've made the appointment on their own volition, they don't want to be there. Deep down, you know, they're torn. They might half want to be there, but part of them really doesn't want to. That pragmatic, um, uh, you know, that pragmatic stoic rock within them that, you know, we all have to a certain degree, they don't want to be paying another guy money to be vulnerable with them and talk, say, hey, can you assist me with A, B, C, D? Uh, and so I think acknowledging that firstly and you know this came out in that emerging literature is being really transparent with blokes number one about you know what happens in the first session what happens in the next few sessions if you decide to come back this is what we're really targeting here because a lot of the things that i've heard and this is backed up in the research again is that guys who have been to counselors psychologists any mental health professionals but they haven't clicked or they haven't had a good experience will say things along the lines of I just felt like I was going and just talking and it wasn't going anywhere or I wasn't really told you know what our goals are or I wasn't giving tools to take away and for all we know the psychologist might have had a you know brilliant formulation but for whatever reason that bloke didn't understand it or wasn't conveyed to them the other mm -hmm. big thing you know in terms of connection is I spend probably 10-15 minutes in that first session if a guy comes to me he goes never been to therapy I had one this week 40 45 never been to therapy counseling here i am so i put my clipboard my questionnaires away and go awesome excellent let's talk for 10 15 minutes about what this actually is because yeah. it's an assumption that uh, you know we all know what it is but really apart from what we've seen on tv most folks don't know what it actually is what happens in that therapy room i've said it many times but 
um, I've got friends and even myself who've said when they went to go to see, maybe they had a bad experience and what they deemed a bad experience, and then they go to see another counsellor and their thought process has been, ah, but I don't want to go over like the thought of them telling their story again or what happened to them X amount of time ago or what they did X amount of time ago or those 30 years prior. That literally is what stops them. And mm. it's such a shame because as much as I tell them, and I try not now to give advice as such because I'm very lucky that I have a good support now and I've had a really, really good experience with counselling recently or in the last year or so at least. I had that same thought. I went along. I even told the story of how I wrote down, and this is just me, how anal I am, and sort of I pathologised, wrote down like my, I guess, my medical history and what I thought it was like psychologically. <laughs> And said, here's all that, so you don't have to ask me those questions. And yeah. he just looked at it and I was laughing, almost laughing and said, look, normally I wouldn't read this because I did this time because I was so intrigued. He said, but that was not my point. He said, you come here. And then he literally did that in the first session. He said, put that aside. This is what counselling is. This is what yeah. we're going to so maybe go through. We'll try and entertain this. But our whole goal is moving you to the next step, not, you know, dredging up everything that we can acknowledge those things but not you know and I, that was so refreshing to me and immediately i went oh wow like i came out of that first session going we're actually going to do some work here and this you know this is sort of a two-way street like we're both going to come to the party with something and whereas i don't think everyone does that or that no. i don't know anecdotally that's what i don't hear anyway from some friends and you know connections but I don't know. Well, don't, and to a large, yeah. large degree, we're taught like a one-size-fits-all approach to adults. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of people disagree with that, but to, you know, it's primarily true, unfortunately. Mm. Um, you know, the, the other thing, you know, sometimes it's such a relief when I see new clients and I say, we'll talk about their family and it's clear it's a bit of a touchy subject. Mm. And I say, hey, we don't have to talk about your childhood today. Yeah. I say, if you, if you just want to, we'll just talk about what's going on for you. I'll send you some resources. We'll talk about some brief strategies in the next session, see how that goes. Then we can talk about that stuff if and when I deem it necessary. And even that yeah. is such a relief. You know, uh, I think some some clinicians, unfortunately, just go in with that one size fits all without appreciating uh, what's in front of them. Mm. And how do you, um, you said you send resources, which I think is incredible. Like it's such a simple thing that I think even doctors I deal with in my day job, I find that, amazing that you would have a connection in between consults right or what they deem now is they call it you know not preventative medicine but it's almost more of a you don't just go when you're sick like there is a you know a process yeah. in between that you should communicate and a lot of people that don't have clinically whether it's a doctor or a psychologist i guess they have different thoughts on how that should work um how do you connect in between sessions then is it just sending the resources do you have sort of a uh, I don't know how what the compliance around this is and what the legality of like, do you sort of text message sort of mm. clients? How do you sort of keep that communication? It's probably different with every client. I'd say most clients I see, I mean, I'm very aware of the stats and the research around males are less likely to seek help, but they're also more likely to drop out. So yes. I'm very aware of that. So especially if I can't see the client for the second session for two, three weeks, I 99% of the time I'll say, right, I'm going to send you some resources, even if it's a podcast, even if it's a, a video, even if it's not a reading because I won't do it, but maybe a short YouTube video. I said, that's what I want you to watch or check out. And that's the first thing we're going to talk about when we get come back. 
you know, that, that I apply to most clients, you know, some other clients, uh, I always tell them, if you've got any questions in the meantime, always email, um, email us. Um, but just being aware that, you know, from a time management point of view, I try not to encourage it too much, but they've always got my email, for example. So, you know, I've got a few teenagers who around exam time, I had one the other day, emailed me on a Sunday. Now I don't set up the expectation that I, I will reply. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, that sets sets that precedent. But nine times out of ten, I will. He said, yeah, I'm really struggling with this. And I said, I wrote back a few hours later. Remember what we talked about in the last session. When that occurs, think about this. Go and do this. Ah, yeah, that's right. Okay. So, because I think that's really important because that improves the chance that they're not going to drop off. Of course. That's amazing. And you said about, you mentioned podcasts. What sort of podcast do you recommend? Any particular ones? Or is it sort of, <laughs> is, it, is it just I, to... Depending on the person, I guess. And... Very dependent. I mean, I'm a huge fan of... Uh, I'm a podcast junkie, but I don't listen to one so, in particular podcast. Whether it's your episode yeah. or, um, but I'm a huge fan of Johan Hari's work, which I'm sure you've probably heard of at some point, yeah. Lost Connection, his talk on addictions, his book on it. So if I've got a client um, who is experiencing anxiety and depressive symptoms, nine times out of 10, he'll get something along from Lost Connection, whether it be the TED yeah. Talk, something like that just because it starts to get them thinking and also normalizing that, hey, what you're going through is pretty common, pretty normal. And nine times out of 10, when I send them a YouTube video, they go, oh, I love that other video you sent. I said, I didn't send that. I said, what you probably did is clicked on the related video yeah. and you've gone down the rabbit hole. But that's awesome. Brilliant. That's the power of the uh, YouTube algorithm, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Sit. Yeah, sit there for 40 minutes. Well, which is, I was listened to a podcast ironically about this the other day and they mentioned about the YouTube algorithm and how it's um, it's really good that it suggests things that uh, you might just watched or interested in or have been interested in for whatever reason. However, the flip side of that is it can cause a very sort of closed mindset because then you're then only consuming things that are from that viewpoint or might be, let's say, something very masculine or very it can then be a slippery slope. So it's kind of, it's interesting. Um, Becomes a bit of an echo chamber, doesn't it? Of course. Yeah, it's, yeah, it definitely is. Um, and any other resources you send them? You said reading, but you said, what? why don't men read? <laughs> I guess. I don't think many, yeah. many people read these days, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, a lot of the times they'll go for the audio book. They'll go, oh, I'll grab the yeah. Lost Connections audio book, the Happiness Trap audio book, you know. Uh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you think, um, what do you think stops men generally connecting them to therapists? What stops them asking for help? I think it's still largely that stoic mentality. That's still, unfortunately, I mean, we are getting a hell of a lot better, but it still uh, permeates through a large section of our society and a large section of the older generation, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our fathers, for example, and their fathers, how they were raised, being a man today compared to 30 years ago looks very, very, very different. And mm -hmm. to, you know, that that sentiment that I hear so often is, you know, I'm the rock for my family, I'm the rock for my partner, my for my kids, but I can't allow myself to be vulnerable with, you know, my mates or my wife. And, you know, that, is, you know, it's so sad to hear that because there's so much strength within that vulnerability. Mm. And with those scenarios, um, because I, I was I was in that space, I guess, till I was thirty. I didn't know how to. The only time it came out when I was, you know, in a bad place was through anger, frustration, you know, 
not physically, but more, it was that thing just exploding, like in my head, whatever it might be, and it would come out in a, you know, snapping of my life or just mm. doing something that built up for three months. Like it could be anything, right? Let's just say it built up. And I didn't know how to verbalize that at all. I remember my wife asking me after my first psychiatrist session, which is another story, but, um, and I sat on the bed with her and normally now I would tell it, I could tell her everything about the session or if I wanted to, or I could explain to anyone about it. Then I just remember going like big deep breath. I was like, yeah, it was good. Um, you know, gonna go next week. Um, yeah, uh, I don't want to talk about it. And then that was it. Yeah. And that was exactly like, over the years. It's obviously got better, but I see now with um, I'm much better with my kids. Like my four year old now, he asks a lot of questions, and he kind of understands what Mister Perfect is. So he sees the bloody logo <laughs> everywhere. So he asks me all the time, and he says to me now, which I think's pretty good i don't know some people might have a different view on how you should raise kids and you know the masculine to it but he says to me dad you're you're making me feel emotional <laughs> he said it to me the other day when uh, he was really like upset about something i thought wow right i literally was stunned like the first time he said it to me that's and pretty cool went, instead of me going because i can only imagine what would happen if i'd said that like it would not even enter my head but no him to say that and i stunned and i went instead of me then going oh like why are you playing up finn like you know come on get out of the bath get into bed like, and just you know the chaos of the, the bedtime i just stopped and i went okay well what's wrong and then we start you know well, how, why are you feeling like this and i just found myself asking these questions which i wouldn't normally do you know and um that was incredible but i think that's through just learning and time and mm. It's taken five or six years to me, to me to get just to there and undo all of that. How do you, with people who've built that up till they're 40, 50, whatever it might be, how do you tackle that? Where do you start with that with them? I mean, that, it's funny you say that because a lot of the times it does start with the kids. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, you know, one thing I give the, those sort of clients after that first session, apart from the resources, I said your, your homework, so to speak, yeah. When you get home, the kids are in bed, you're going to debrief this whole session with your wife yeah. because that starts that process. And instead of the bloke, you know, just tell them how you feel. No, no, you've got something that you're going to tell. So they don't have to think about it. Um, but that opens those communication channels. And also, you know, that's such a beautiful anecdote that you've just told mm -hmm. them very similar. You know, when getting blokes to understand um, their emotions from their kids' point of view, like where when a four or five-year-old He's losing his shit, so to speak. Yeah. Hang on, instead of disciplining him, let's take a step back and um, see that, okay, he's emotionally flooded right now. Why don't you see how you could approach that differently? And they connect with that. And then a session or two later, we'll go, you know how you got really angry the other day? Can you mm -hmm. see the parallel there between your four or five-year-old cracking the shits and you? Yes. Uh... That's scary. <laughs> like, now I've seen that in me and my, my experiences and my psychologist will say, and but... He's great. He just says to me, Terry, like you beat yourself up for those moments where you do lose your shit. If it's verbally and you know, you've shouted at your son mm -hmm. and you've said, go to bed or do whatever. And he goes, Yeah, look, that will affect him in the short term. He said, as long as you're not doing that and you know, like constantly mm -hmm. till he's ten years old. He said, But think about all the other stuff you did today that was you got your kids up, you changed the nappy, like you got them ready for school, you put them in the car, you did all these things and he said, and you're beating yourself up 
over mm. that one thing where you lost it. And he said, look, it's not ideal, but that's something you work on. So now, like, I don't get it right every time. Don't get me wrong. But at that time, it just go in. Took a deep breath, asked that question, and the tears stopped, like, that tension stopped, everything. Like, I can't, you can't always do that, like, but it's, no. it's a way to look at everything, you know. I think, too, like, how your son, like, from how at an unconscious level he internalizes that. Yes. You know, if yeah. that's continued, of course it doesn't happen all the time, but if that's, you yeah. know, an option, in 20 years when he experiences emotion, his automatic response is not stuff it down like a beach yeah. ball underwater until it pops up and yeah. then he comes in and says, oh, I'm angry. It's, no, 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 it's okay to express that because he's got mm. support and encouragement to express it. I mean, that's so critical. It's mm. good. And do you get many... Um... Do you get many clients coming in that um, have trouble connecting with their kids, or is there any is there any sort of um, on that sense? Because a lot there's a lot of literature and things that we know about dads, and I posted something about dads podcast the other day, and there's some real honest stories on it that I'm just resonating with and going, oh wow, like yeah. Mm. Just did you ever do you get a lot of dads coming in struggling with that? Yeah, yeah, a hell of a lot. And uh, we get a lot of blokes, interestingly, who come in a year or two after they've just become fathers. Yes. Um, I mean, that's, I know, a whole week could have a hot podcast just on that. Definitely. But, uh, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, I'm not a father yet, so I can't, you know, from a lived experience, talk about it. But, I, you know, I know these dads, they'll be talking about their depressive symptoms, their addictions, their anger, whatnot. And then, okay, okay, so you've got a one-year-old. When did all this sort of, oh, about the same time. Oh, okay. Okay, oh, and then yeah. it snowballs because uh, I'm not being a good partner, and uh, I'm not providing for the family, and I'm not connecting with my kid, and therefore I feel yeah, it's just yeah, it's very common. Yeah. I think that post postnatal mental health uh, space for blokes is not talked about enough. They estimate mm. one in ten. I would say it's one in four, one in five, easily. Mm. I think so. I think so. Judging on again, my mates, you know, friends and. Whatever age they've had kids, really, to be honest, like the oh yeah, the, sh- the shift in um, yeah, people say, oh, you can't prepare. I think there's there's probably some things you can do to mentally prepare, but when it hits you, it hits you. And if there are those underlying things you've not worked on already, then mm. they come to the surface. And that's what I found. I guess I got to thirty and was like, shit, I'm gonna have a kid fairly soon. Yeah, like now's the time to start working on this stuff. Because it might be a little bit too late if you leave it. But um, well, and so many blokes, so many blokes talk about that is that you know they might have had these things that have come to sessions for, but they're mm. sort of bubbling beneath the surface. They were able to manage it previously, but mm. as you would well know, once you have kids, it brings all of that up with oh, sleep deprivation and that sense of identity, the stress, the yeah, all of that. Yeah, and again, uh, another point I've been thinking about recently is the. Um, like the connection to my boys, like having a boy, especially my firstborn Finn, mm. like all you do is see yourself through like his kind of experiences. And it's a very strange yeah. experience to see. And he's very like me. My wife says anyway, she says he's so much. <laughs> he's stubborn. He copies what you do. Like he's just, it's amazing to see. What can I do? Yeah, what you can, I don't know, what you pass on, I guess. And hopefully mm. it'll be more good than the bad stuff. But um, just to oh, sorry, my friend's. Jigsaw. Oh, six seconds. <laughs> You're going on. The series going off somewhere. Let me just find it. Oh, there it is. I'll turn it off. I don't see a car sitting in your car. Sorry, I was about to call a doctor, I know, randomly. <laughs> 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 there we go. Um, and what do you think? 
was going to ask you about connection generally, but I think it's a bit generic. But I was going to say, what's your ideas then for men to come to you, or, or what do you think generally? What can you suggest to them if they come and say, look, I feel disconnected, or you sense they're disconnected? What's the practical things you suggest to them, or um, how do you suggest them to connect, not just to you, but like the outside world? It's, it's so common, so common. Um, first, first step, I mean, unfortunately, too many blokes just don't have any mates anymore mm. because of one reason or another. Usually they've neglected that part of their life. Um, but even before looking at that, is actually connecting with themselves, actually yes. trying to figure out. You don't need to go to a therapist necessarily to figure that out, but just start. I mean, you got the internet at your fingertips, you know, your sense of identity, what, you know, who do you want to be in the world? What, what values matter to you? What are your morals? All of those things. Because I think guys too often of all ages come and see us and they've just lost that sense of self, lost that sense of identity. And if they don't have that, they don't really have a rudder in terms mm. of actually connecting with others because they don't know who they are. Yeah. And then connecting with others or connecting with hobbies, it becomes mission impossible. So, you know, I always caution that you really have to connect with yourself and get some sense of self first yeah. and then start those practical things of actually putting yourself out there. But again, the biggest hurdle there is that vulnerability. Yeah, yeah and uh, that's a really good point. We had a chat with um, a guy who runs a thing called the 100 coffee project i think it's called 100 coffee projects uh, a couple of weeks okay. ago chris he's in melbourne actually i'll send you his details um he essentially was a bit of an extrovert got to a certain age in his life where he thought everything was good um and then felt he felt something wasn't up that something wasn't right and he started to feel a little bit disconnected a little bit depressed um despite the fact that in his job he's you know talking to a pe lot of people meeting people <laughs> had friends, had everything, but never felt properly connected to them. And mm. um, he said a similar thing. Like he just got to this point where um, he, the first thing he did, and I don't know if he was suggested to do this, it wasn't just go and join another club, go and join another you know, football thing, go and do this. It was, he just went over a coffee. Someone said, what are your values then? Mm. And he said, never been asked, never been asked it. And I think I've been asked once my whole life. He'd never been asked there. And he went, oh, like it completely stumped him. And then he just went away from that coffee, wrote them down. And he said, from that day, it was just like this weird yeah, sensation of, well, if my job's not aligning with that, there's no wonder I don't feel connected. And yeah. like he wrote down these you know, three or four or five true values. And he said, well, if this is not connected to that, well, that's not bad. So he just went on this project to do um, 100 coffees in 100 days with different like with people he didn't know and set up these coffees and just have chats it was absolutely incredible and he said the connection obviously he got out of that was big he said it yeah. all started with his values um is that something you suggest the guys to go away with do you say go away and think about that or definitely definitely i mean that that's an activity i had a client today this morning that we did an activity based on values and i love it because too often blokes think about, they know their mission statement of the values of the organization they work for, yeah, or even exactly. the small business they run. But when you say, what are yours? It's really confronting. But then yeah. actually asking that question, you know, there's a really, for those who are interested in ACT and uh, the happiness trap, there's a bullseye. And we actually get guys to actually say, okay, well now you've figured out your values. Where are you in each domain in your life? Are you in terms of living in line with those values? Not, I've never had a client ever 
who is close to the center on more than two domains. Mm. And I think that's that says a hell of a lot. Yeah. And I guess that's it's quite confronting to do that. Um Ooh, yeah. I guess some some people would stop at that point and that's maybe why like maybe <laughs> it is a bit too close to home to be asked those things and to be challenged on them. Yeah. Perhaps. Well you don't whip that out in the first session for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well I think and uh, what the one thing I've been thinking about a fair bit, maybe when I was in my a bit more of a I call it a crisis mode, you know. Mine's a bit complex when my challenges come up, but um, when they used to, or when it was repressed, and when I didn't do anything about it, I blame the rest of the world internally. Like it wasn't my thing. It was this that happened to me then. It was you know the girlfriend that dumped me. It was this blah 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 blah. And that you you I came up with all these things right that was. Um, I had zero accountability for my own actions. And I think that's, is that something you come up against or is that how do you approach that with someone if you've been confronted with a scenario like that? Because I, I, it wasn't so blunt with me. Like someone didn't, the psychologist or my psychiatrist didn't really challenge me on it. It took me to challenge me on it before I then mm. went, oh, oh dear, like 90% of this is me. But there are bits yeah. that I can't. 90% of this is starting with me and how do I work that back? How do you find that conversation with people? Or do you have it? Or <laughs> maybe I'm pretty sure you probably do. But. We definitely have it, but uh, I suppose it comes back to, you know, what we call in the clinical world of that therapeutic alliance or, you know, that click with the, the therapist, the psychologist. You know, we know that that is the most important thing regardless of experience, regardless of what therapy people are using. That therapeutic alliance is the most important thing. So once we feel that's quite strong, the trust is there, we might have talked about some areas of vulnerability for that bloke, you know, generally then we can challenge them on that because we feel, I suppose, safe enough that we're not going to scare him off. But it's really common because if you think about that, if you, if, you know, not as just as a bloke, but as a human, if you admit that, hang on, you are accountable for a lot of the stuff that's going wrong, that evokes mm. a hell of a lot of anxiety within you. So, yes. you know, it is that automatic protective mechanism, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I just put, put up a comment on the screen there from Gary, who's um, one of our barbecue hosts, and I've had different, I've had chats with him outside of uh, so what we do with Mr. Perfect and mm. what we do. And he's a great example. He says to me, um, he says there, I didn't really have any friends that sort of came the real me. And now he's you know developing those those friendships, and I think that's, that's cool. hard. That's the point. That's hard, and I found exactly the same scenario where. Uh, I had a lot of friends and I had a lot of things going on and I was very busy at work and all and doing well successfully materially um you know beautiful wife all these things going on but wasn't being true to myself in any way really nothing matched up to my values mm. and I wondered why I wasn't really going anywhere and like the last five years have just been that process of it's been up and down but it's been a lot more coming to the real me and now it feels a lot better and I think that's what Gary's trying to say there as well um, yeah confront it i guess at times um at another comment here um from a path to follow which i think is one of your fans uh, yeah. uh, uh, amazing i was reading some of their comments which are brilliant um and they said i think we all have to be taught to stop trusting our inner voice from the time we were born and males in particular our work is getting our kids to trust their guts again i think that's very vital my i knew how i was as a kid and it was a lot more sensitive, introvert, etc. But went the other way. So like my friends were all 
extroverts, my jobs I chose or things I chose to do were the opposite. And they weren't really aligned with what I was, mm. me, I guess, more comfortable with. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Our work isn't getting our, our kids to trust their guts again. I love it. Well, as blokes, we don't get encouraged to trust our intuition, do we? That's seen as very feminine and very... Yeah. <laughs> Not something in our lingo generally, but it's so, so important. Yeah. And um, what other, I guess, challenges do you think at the moment um, do you see the most in men and connection? What, what do you say sort of the top three things at the moment that men might be struggling with or are starting to come to terms with with connection? Um, what are you seeing and, yeah, how, how are you addressing it? I think the first one would have to be just fitting exactly what we talked about. And like the comment said, figuring out who I am, that sense of self. I mean, that's a huge one. Uh, the next step then is if you do have a sense of self, it's okay, well, where do I actually go? If you don't have any meaningful relationships and you're in your 30s or 40s or even 50s or 60s, where do I actually go to try and develop those or put myself out there? Because again, that that's a huge thing. That goes against everything that we are, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, wired towards. We we wouldn't go out into the wild, so to speak, on our own to be vulnerable, um, just to try and connect with others. So that that takes a hell of a lot of work. But usually, if a bloke's figured out, you know, that sense of self, and well, not figured it out, but got a sense, some sense of self and their values, their identity, what they really enjoy in life. You know, I had a bloke a few weeks ago and we, he said, oh, I went and tried, I think it was um, canoeing or something along those. I joined a club, a trial. And so it was the hobby that he enjoyed from a childhood that he thought, oh, I'll go try that. And now he's met people through that. That's amazing. And I think yeah. there's something still so, so true with blokes and, and males overall that it's we, we socialize still by doing, don't we? So you need to find something that's yeah. doing. And, and then we can open up while they're uh, next to us. Yeah, it's true. It's the um, the activities, I guess. Is I, my psychologist said it to me when I went to him like proudly and said, okay, I let all these things slip, but recently I've got back to football, joined a new football club, exercise, doing this, doing it. And he said, no, 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 like stop me halfway through, which is great. Like it was very fun. <laughs> they're just activities. Because it's great that you're yeah. doing them to, he said, but you do them anyway. Like you, you're comfortable doing them anyway. He said, the fact that you're just doing them over and over again is not really working on the hard stuff. So that was, a, that, was an, that was an interesting conversation. It just made me go away and go, yeah. And that was me again, not really being true to myself, thinking if I just kept like a routine, mm. I would connect more. But well, that, and that's so common. That's so common too. Blokes yeah. will come and they go, "Oh yeah, I've got my self care routine. I go to the gym and I do this and I spend yeah. time in nature and and you know I hang out with the mates at the pub." And you go, "Okay, but where's your meaningful relationships there?" Yeah. Oh well, I got yeah. the no, no, no. But where's the actual deep like friendships that you could, if you need to, speak about yeah. some actual real, real stuff? That's sadly where too many blokes come fall short. Yeah, and I guess hence what we're we found with the barbecues i've said it before but it wasn't rooted any science or anything it was just that over a barbecue it felt i don't know welcoming comfortable not confronting and i think that's why it works as a as a i don't know a platform and i remember when i'm telling my story over the barbecue and i did the first sydney one and it just i felt natural doing it 
you know, you're not staring someone deep in the eye and having that one-to-one. They're just listening. They're kind of taking it on board. You can see their brain ticking away. And then later on, they might then tell themselves, tell you a little bit about them while you're, you know, cooking or someone would offer to come onto the barbecue and cook. And, yeah. and in that way, you then get chatting and it's just a vehicle for it. Like we're obviously not very good at just going straight into it. Um, so it seems to work. But um, what do you... Great icebreaker. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, your, um, I guess your, as a as an Aussie, your sort of cultural experience of barbecues, why do you think they work well? Or do you think they work well, firstly, and two, why do you think the barbecue works well as a platform? I reckon you'd probably be able to answer this yeah. more than I would. I think, I think they, they clearly work. I mean, given how successful you guys have been, but I think it is that icebreaker, whether it's a barbecue that, oh, you know, I brought these snags or these are the steaks that I, you know, um, marinated yesterday. It's the same premise as going to the men's shed. It's the same premise as going to martial arts and talking about, you know, different techniques, different moves, going to the soccer club. You know, it's that icebreaker. It, it from, you know, from a, again, an evolutionary perspective, it, it makes everybody feel safe enough. So mm-hmm. then we can allow you the foundations for other conversations and take that elsewhere. Mm. Now, I like how you put that. It does the foundations of it, which then allows the connection to happen. I guess what I was mm. getting at was, is there anything in um, that you link in your sort of learnings in psychology um, that suggests gatherings or any form of something like that uh-huh. Or, yeah. Well, I, I think, I mean, the barbecue, if you look from a, you know, it's the one cultural thing we have in white Australia, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> years ago, I had an Indian friend and she said to me, she said, I've been to, you know, to a lot of these Australian gatherings, the special events. Do they ever not involve barbecues or beer? <laughs> <laughs> but I think it actually gets back to that. I mean, it's, it's that sense of community, isn't it? which in today's society, we're becoming so, so, you know, more individualistic and independent and isolated. So it goes back to that sense of community, which is tribally still very innately within all of us, men and women, I feel. Mm. No, absolutely. And again, I was saying it wasn't rooted in any science, but people say sometimes, oh, is it just a barbecue? Like, how does that, you know, And um, we've only learned now, you know, four years down the track, what, what it can mean or what it can open up Um, and being able to do that as a lean kind of thing and, you know, a lean model to some of the stories we get now about connection are just amazing. And people who have been isolated for six months and uh, Mm. haven't gone out of the house, they come to a barbecue and chat Um, and some don't even say anything. I guess it's the same with the therapy sessions, right? The first few or some of them probably going to be quite it's going to be they might not necessarily blow everything out in the first one might take some time to get that trust uh, yeah but once they, once they're in and they feel connected then i guess they can start a bit of journey then. well it's that sense of belonging too isn't it you know yes. that bloke is in isolated for six months now he's got that sense of belonging that i'm in the mr perfect barbecue club they're expecting yeah. me to be there mm. And Ben um, just made a comment there. Ben Watson, who's one of our uh, barbecue hosts, he um, big football fan, soccer fan. I've chatted to him for about it, and he says himself about joining the football club takes mm. half a season before he feels you know comfortable, connects with everyone. But 
Uh, Ada says there, look, it does take much longer to do it, longer than women generally, which is a very good point. Um, oh, definitely. But look, I, yeah, loved, loved all those answers um, around connection. So vital for our, I guess, our community and following to hear that, and from especially from yourself who sees it day in, day out, the things that people are challenged by. Um, yeah, it's incredible. What would you say then, if you had sort of one key piece of uh, wisdom or uh, to leave our viewers with, which are mainly men, of course, what, what would it be? <laughs> I think now more than ever, especially given what's going on with social isolation and whatnot, yeah. is just put your mental health on the agenda. Mm. You know, whatever that looks like for you, just put it on the agenda. It might not be going to therapy, but just mm. put it on the agenda. You know, have a self-care plan. Are you doing daily, weekly, are you doing the things that are good for you mentally, that energize you, that maintain your mental health? You know, mental health is not binary. It's not, I'm in a good mental health space or I'm in a bad one, as you would true know. It's a continuum. Yeah. It's an up and down. But I encourage all blokes, you know, after we finish sessions, that last session is going, what is your self-care plan going forward? What are the things that you need to do? 80, 90% of the time, to stay in the best possible mental health space you can. And a lot of that centers around social connection, but also mm. what are the things I don't want to do? Usually yeah. alcohol, drugs, yeah. those sort of excessive things. But just no, put no, it on the agenda, make it a priority. Good. No, look, I think that sums up nicely. Put it on the agenda. It just got me thinking a lot. When you're saying it, I'm, like, I'm such a hypocrite sometimes. I tell everyone to do all these things. And uh, yeah, it got me thinking a lot about what you should be doing especially right now where we are isolated in some senses um, yeah. and remain connected and it's probably a good time to think about more deeply about that as well um, oh, definitely what's, what's we're, really all, we're all going to have some time to think i think exactly. <laughs> yeah. and how do um people find you and what you're doing on your socials and everything else uh just bloke psychology facebook instagram bloke on the web sites and i think oh we're on linkedin too but you'll find us not a, not hard to find us excellent no look i really appreciate this carl absolutely amazing um glad we got you on and um i think we'll uh we'll definitely have to do this again at some point i think we're probably no. there's a lot of uh subtopics that spawned off that chat which we could definitely cover a show with so i really appreciate it, mate and um no, we will thank you. chat to you soon I'll keep up the good work, and um, I think myself and the team will try and get down to a Melbourne barbecue in the coming months. Well, oh, please, do. please do. We've got a few, and uh, we're going to have a couple more added soon as well. No, excellent. Well, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll see some people soon, and maybe we'll catch up when we're in Sydney next. Without a doubt. Thanks, Carl. Take it easy, mate. Thanks, Jerry. Take care. Bye-bye.